Last week, uh, uh, as a part of my preparation for the message and telling the story about Naaman and uh, seeking healing, I felt that it was important for us to, uh, to pray for, for physical healing for members of the congregation. And um, so um, we did that. Several of you came forward. We anointed with oil. Pastors prayed over you, as the, the scripture tells us we should do. And we prayed that in faith, uh, believing that God, uh, God would help and heal. And uh, this week, uh, in fact, just yesterday, we were having some worship preparation time and trying to do some things to improve our sound and what we do for, to help you worship. And uh, I'm going to ask Ben Abrams, who plays bass for us most Sundays, uh, to come forward and... Uh, Step over here, Ben. You were one of those who uh, who came and uh, was prayed for for healing. Yep. And I remember, you know, that moment praying with you, uh, not knowing specifically exactly what it was that you were asking God to do for you. But uh, just yesterday at lunch, um, you shared with me something that uh, was just a blessing for for me to hear. And uh, tell me what you were praying for and what happened. Well, um, like many of you probably experienced, this has been one of the worst allergy seasons that I've had in many years. Um, but even before that, I've gone just months where I felt like I've had just this belt wrapped around my chest and just tightened to the last notch. So when I would go to take a deep breath, I would feel like I was suffocating. So if I got worked up or my heart was racing at all, I would just I would start panicking because I couldn't breathe. Um, and so I, I came down to ask for prayer for that yesterday or last Sunday. And um, tell me, tell us uh, what happened, what you experienced in, uh, after, after you were prayed for. It was uh, leading up to Sunday, actually the day before, it was uh, kind of an unusual experience. I went out to get my allergy medicine on Saturday uh, and twice uh, that I went, the pharmacy was actually closed. Um, I just thought it was really unfortunate, um, just bad luck. Uh, so I went Saturday evening uh, with no medicine, uh, which my wife wasn't too happy about because it actually causes me to snore. Um, but uh, Sunday morning I came in and I just, I'd become so accustomed to just living with the tightness in my chest, I just, I started to accept it instead of asking God to deliver me from it. And Sunday morning when pastor called us um, an altar call for physical healing, it dawned on me that God doesn't want us to live like this. And I just, I got up, I came to the altar and I said, God, I give this up to you. I said, I know you don't want this in my life. I know you don't want me to live like this. And after pastor came and prayed over me, I got up and as I was walking back uh, to my seat, I literally felt like the belt was just taken off of my chest. And it was the first time in months that I remember being able to take a deep breath. And the really cool part is, um, you know, normally you don't think about breathing. Uh, it's just something you do. But when you can't breathe, you notice it. And so all week long, every time I was expecting to try to take a deep breath and to feel like I was suffocating, I just I felt that deep breath. And I just wanted to stop wherever I was and just praise God and just thank him for the healing. Thank you for sharing me.
Give God the glory. We believe he can do that. Many of you have been praying for me and, and for my back. And a couple of weeks ago, um, my, first, my first Sunday back with you after that injury, there was a couple that attended church that day that doesn't normally attend our church, and they, they asked me if they could pray for me after the service and um, laid, laid hands on me. And I don't know them well, and, but, you know, if somebody tells you they want to pray for you, my, my usual response is, please do. I, I'll receive that. And they prayed for me, and I know many of you have. And if you see me walking around today, I'm walking pain-free, and I'm very grateful for that. I've got the, the brace on for another week or so until I see the doctor again a week from tomorrow. But I don't have to sleep in it anymore, which I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I'm just grateful for healing in my own body, and we believe God can do that. He can, he can meet uh, any need that we have. I want to do something else this morning. I'm going to ask uh, Tom Black to come up here with me. And uh, Tom is uh, one of our very dedicated um, uh, musicians and is talented and offers that to the Lord and prepares his heart and his instruments uh, for, for worship every Sunday. And uh, Tom, uh, last year, uh, 2011, um, the job that you'd had uh, for, for quite a while, uh, your company was making uh, cutbacks, and, and you lost your job. How long had you worked for that company? About eight and a half years. Eight and a half years. And um, so that was gone. You looked here in the Houston area, nothing, nothing came about, and uh, you ended up with a job in Amarillo. Yes. Way out in Amarillo. Yeah. Uh, you know, people talk about... Uh, uh, that don't know the geography of the state of Texas very well, don't realize that, you know, you could drive to Nashville as quick as you could drive to Amarillo. So uh, that's, that's out there. Um, and we missed you, and your family missed you, and that was a difficult season for you. And after several months, uh, you, you believed that the Lord was bringing you back here uh, to be with your family. Yes. But um, you came out back here without the promise of a job. So, and you're still not employed right now here in Houston. How long have you been without a job? <clears throat> Almost two months. Almost two months. And uh, the Lord's been your strength in this season, hasn't he? Yes. And, and my church and my family and the Lord have all been my strength. I was, I was thinking about uh, Tom's situation a couple of days ago, and I felt like it was probably representative of a few other people within our congregation. I could be wrong. But just knowing the way the economy is and those kind of things, I wonder if there's, is there anybody else here today that is uh, looking for a job, searching for a job? Anybody? It, if, if that's the case, um, uh, nothing, nothing crazy or weird is going to happen. But if, if that's your situation, and I'm going to add this too, if you're working in a job where you're having great struggle on that job, um, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are right now. Anybody looking for a job or having a great struggle? Don't, don't be bashful. Nothing crazy is going to happen. Um, okay. Um, what I'm going to ask us to do right now, I, as I lay my hand on Tom and, and, uh, and pray for him, uh, I'm going to ask people that are close by uh, to maybe put a hand on the shoulder of these that are standing. And let's pray for God's provision and grace um, to provide these jobs or to provide uh, the new job or the strength. That, that is needed. You join me in doing that. Don't let anybody stand alone today. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your, uh, your goodness and grace and uh, your healing power. 
We just stop right now. We give you praise and honor and glory for the healing touch that uh, we've heard witness to and testified to today. And we know that you're a God that can heal supernaturally. You can heal through medicine. You can uh, work any way you choose. And at times we have to endure things in order that you would teach us something or that we could grow from it. But we give you all the praise and honor and glory for that. And we thank you for the presence of your spirit as we've worshiped here today. And we thank you for those that uh, our brothers and sisters that stand with us today that are in need of, of your provision for work, for help on their jobs, for strength, for peace. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would provide that and that you would strengthen them and enable them to, to know that you are with them, that you're working in ways that they cannot see. And I pray that you would strengthen our faith. And I pray together as a congregation that we would have faith for one another. And believe that as God has provided for us, he will do for, for another. And, and for those of us whose faith is weak, Lord, I pray that the others of us will, will rally around them and, and strengthen them and make our prayers even more diligent, that you will do what only you can do. So we ask for jobs, we ask for peace, we ask for strength, for provision, for financial needs, and we pray that the body of Christ will be true to one another, the brothers and sisters, Christ-like, that you've called us to be. And we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your presence here. And we pray and believe in Jesus' strong name, our great God. And God's people said, amen. I think most of us, um, most of us remember um, things that our parents said, especially things that they, they seem to repeat and, and say often. Um, I remember several things that my dad um, uh, has said over the years and continues to say, many of them. Uh, one of those was, don't take yourself too seriously. Just don't take yourself too seriously. And, and kind of a tag along to that was, was this line of never, never be too impressed with your position. And whatever that, that is. Um, another really good thing that, that he says uh, often and said often was, you always need to be grateful. You always need to be thankful and grateful and, and, and let people know that, that you are. Um, but the thing that I think I remember him saying the most is, is a, it was a question. And it was this question. Why did you do that? <laughs> Why did you do that? That's what he asked my brother um, when uh, my brother was about uh, 19 and I was about 15 and we were following my dad uh, somewhere um, taking two cars and we got one block away from from our house at the stop sign and my brother was distracted with the radio and rear-ended my dad <laughs> and when he got out of the car he said why did you do that and there's no good response to that ever, I don't, uh, I don't think. There's also um, a, a scripture or a paraphrase of a scripture that, that I've heard my dad say more than once. And, and it's, it's something that you may have heard quite a bit. And it's, it's this statement, to whom much is given, much is required. And I feel like um, the life that I've had, the way I grew up and the life that, that I've experienced for uh, 48 and a half years now, I feel like I'm a, a much given person. 
That, if that sounds confusing, I, I mean, I'm a person that much has been given to. I mean, I have received so much. Uh, I, I have been so blessed in my life. Um, just, you know, the family that, that I have had and the relationship that I still have with my parents and my brother and extended family um, and, and all that I was protected from and sheltered from and the, the love that was poured out on me and have never been wealthy people but also never been people really to lack. And, and I've just been so blessed. And, and I am a person to whom much has been given. But you know that what follows that, to whom much has been given, much is required. Now, I, I, came, to, I came to Christ. I heard the message of Christ from the time that I was an infant forward and somewhere around five or six years old. I couldn't give you a date exactly, but at a church in Oklahoma City, I prayed and asked, asked uh, Jesus to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. But maybe some of you can identify with me on that, that you... You had that early experience, but I don't know about you, but for me that means that in my lifetime, in my, my journey with the Lord, because it started so early, I've made and broken more promises than most people. I mean, that's a long journey, and, and uh, my life has not always been, been perfect. And, and, and I just, I was in my uh, uh, college years, and then moving on into my early married years when, when I really began to get a concept of just what this amazing grace stuff was all about and how much I was a person that needed it. And I kind of feel like that if, that if you could use grace up, I mean, if there was a specific allotment for one person and that's all there was, I feel like I would have used mine up a long time ago. I don't know if, if that's the way you feel, but, but I, I've got really, really good news for us today. It's good news for all of us. Fortunately for all of us, there is much grace flowing from the heart of God. And it's flowing right into this place today. There's so much grace that God pours out and God gives. And I stand here as somebody that really needs it and needs to learn more and more about it. There's a, there's a great book that's been out for several months that uh, has really inspired me lately in my thinking about the grace of God. It's by Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's called The Grace of God. And I'd encourage you to, uh, uh, to read that. It's inspired a lot of my preaching lately, including the sermon today. I, I didn't feel like that we could get through the history books, the history section of the of the, of the Bible as we go through the nine major sections of Scripture in 2012 and without preaching a, a message about the person who gets the most press, the most uh, airtime, the most screen time in that section of Scripture, it's a man named David. And most of you have heard of him. Usually we know him as King David. David was a person to whom much was given. Much was given. He was a chosen king, if you know the story. He was chosen king in, in spite of his family and some of the backgrounds that they had. Uh, his great-great-grandmother was a prostitute from Jericho named Rahab, who wasn't even a Jew. 
And by the grace of God, she was taken in to the family. He was the youngest of all his brothers and thought of the least. When the prophet Samuel said to uh, his father Jesse, Hey, I need to see your sons. And they all gathered. They didn't even think David was important enough to bring in from out in the pasture. He was chosen, though, and anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel, uh, even while another man was still king, a man named Saul. And, and it says in, uh, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, this is, this is talking about the future and about David. And it's, a, it's a word spoken to Saul from the prophet, but it says, But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. He's talking about David. And the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Now, David didn't do anything to, to deserve or earn in his young life the title of king. It's simply that God chose him. And David's story, like my story and really like anybody who, who finds it, is a story of grace from start to finish. From start to finish, David's life is a story about the grace of God, the amazing grace of God. And you've, you've, probably, uh, you've probably heard of, of, of David and, and the stories, David and Goliath and, and David playing his harp and singing for Saul and David and, and his friend Jonathan, the son of Saul, and, and all of those, those kinds of things. And you've probably seen in David's life, if you've read the stories, that he was a person who achieved great victories. I mean, he established the kingdom of Israel, defeated all of his enemies, and, and all, of these, all of these things begin to happen in wonderful, wonderful ways for him. And somewhere along the line, David got it in his mind that he ought to build a temple, a dwelling place for the God that he served and worshipped and was leading his nation to do so. And, and he had that in his heart. He, he said he wanted, he felt like this, I'm living in a palace and the ark of God is in a tent. Now the ark of God was this, was this box that you can read about in, in Leviticus where it was directed in such a way to, to, in Exodus that, that it held the Ten Commandment tablets and it was the symbol of the presence of God for the whole nation. And David said, how can I live in a palace when the ark of God, the presence of God, is in a tent, we need to build God a great, great place to dwell. And the prophet Nathan, who'd kind of taken over that role from Samuel, uh, said, David, that is a really good idea. But God spoke to me in a dream and said, you're not the person to do it. God doesn't want a warrior, somebody who's whole life has been about shedding blood, building a temple for him. And so uh, David uh, heard that news, and you can imagine if it was your dream, and God seemed to be saying no to your dream, that that would really, really be tough. But even in spite of uh, the fact that God was, in a sense, denying that dream for David, he gave David this unconditional Promise. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he said to David, he said, No matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained. And he said, Now go and say to my servant David, 
This is what the Lord of heaven's armies declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. And furthermore, he said, I will make a great house for you. I will make your household a dynasty of kings. And he said to David this, I will make your name great throughout all generations. And no matter what your level of biblical knowledge here today, you've probably heard of David, King David. So his name's lasted for thousands and thousands of years. God's fulfilled that promise in that sense, that we still know who David is. When you see the flag of the nation Israel, what's on the flag of the nation of Israel? It's the star of whom? David. Make your name great. But it goes further than that. The favor and the grace that God said to David, and he didn't make any conditions on it. He just said, I'm going to make your name great. Not if you do this or if you do that. He just said, period. The favor of God is going to be on you. And he did that, and he said, I will make your name great. And the ultimate fulfillment of that we see is in, is in Luke chapter 2, in the very familiar Christmas story that many of us share with our families each year. It says, what? When the angels announced to the shepherds, they said, Today in the town of David, a Savior is born. You see, for, for generations after generation, the people, of, the people of God believed that the Messiah was going to come through the, the line, the family of David. And it finally came true. Even though they didn't rec most didn't recognize him, today in the town of David, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. Now that's the ultimate fulfillment of that unconditional promise that God made to David that I will make your name great. Now I said David's story is one of grace from start to finish. But like a lot of stories, there's a whole lot that goes on in the middle that's maybe, well, we'll just call it messy. And today I want you to hear this clearly. We see it in David's story, and we know it in our lives. God's grace sustains even when things get messy in the middle. And it got really messy for David. If you read David's story, there's, there's some just unbelievable stuff that goes on. I'll, I'll just take you back to, to, to a few highlights of it. You go back in David's story, and after he'd been anointed king and introduced to the current king, Saul, and all of this was presented, and he defeated Goliath and, and all of that and began to get fame and notoriety and people calling for David and singing praise to him instead of the king. You know, the king became very jealous. And there was, uh, there was a season when David was running and hiding. Some of the psalms are written during those moments. And there were scenes where David was running and hiding. And during one of those times when he was running and hiding from Saul and he was afraid for his life, he let his trust in God slip a little bit. And David, David lied. He deceived the priests of a village in order to get food and provisions for him, himself and his men. And because of that, Saul found out about what had happened there. And they came to that village, Saul's men did, and they wiped out that entire village and the blood of those people was on David's hands that's even before he became king 
When David became king, the favor of God and the grace of God is still with him in spite of all of that. And the greatest successes for the nation of Israel come with David. And they, they gain military might, economic strength, all of that. He's got all kinds of political power and things are going very, very well. But even in spite of that, David made some decisions like all of us do at times that can affect our future and it certainly affected his reputation forever because most of us know about maybe the biggest mistake that David made or one of them in the middle of his life. I don't want to go all through it. I'll just try to sum it up quickly. Do you know the David Bathsheba story? The David Bathsheba Uriah story? If you don't know it quickly, here it is. David's uh, country is at war. There are soldiers out in the field. David's standing on the, the roof of his palace and he's looking down and he sees a woman bathing on the top of her roof and uh, he finds her very beautiful and attractive. He doesn't look away. He lets his, his eyes linger and the desire goes from just seeing something beautiful to dwelling on it and letting it become lust. And before you know what's happened, in spite of his servant's warnings reminding him who this woman is, the wife of Uriah, one of his commanders out in the army field, David calls for Bathsheba to come to his palace. They have a one-night stand that results in her becoming pregnant. She reveals the news to David. His choice, choices compound on one another which is what happens when we don't repent and confess and turn back to God. His choices compounded on one another. What did he do? He had Uriah, her husband, sent to the front lines of the battlefield where the odds were, and it came true, he was killed. And then David took Bathsheba in comfort and brought her into his palace, took her as his, one of his wives. The child that, uh, that had been conceived um, was born and uh, did not live. And in those moments, uh, the prophet Nathan, who had spoken to David before about things, came and told David a story. You remember this? You can read about it. Very interesting. Tells David a parable, a story about, about a, a, a rich man who has, who has so much and what he does in taking the lamb of another man who doesn't have as much. And David says, that's awful. That shouldn't happen. Who is this? And I'll bring judgment against him. And the prophet Nathan says, you, you're that man. It was you to man and not in a good way. You're the man. And David's response was, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51, one of, one of the most beautiful psalms in the Bible, is David's repentant response to what he had done. You can read about that when he asked God to restore his joy. But listen, in spite of, in spite of the forgiveness and grace of God that was there for David and is there for us, we've got to be reminded of this, that, that discipline, God's discipline is not an exception to grace but often an expression of it. So many times we've, we've messed up and we come to God and we want God to just, 
we just make everything disappear, all the consequences of our choices. But it usually doesn't work that way. God can wipe the slate clean as far as our heart connected to Him. But things play out. David's abuse of power and all of that brought very hard consequences. There was another terrible incident in this messy middle of his life. His oldest son, a guy named Amnon, raped his half-sister Tamar. And when David heard about it, the Scripture says David was very angry. And then you know what it says David did? Nothing. He didn't, he didn't do anything. There was no justice brought to Amnon. No justice for Tamar. One of his other sons, one of David's other sons named Absalom, heard about this, and it, it began to build strife and tension and, and struggle and trouble in the whole family, and it spilled out until there was a full-out rebellion by Absalom. There was a civil war in the country. David was this time not fleeing from Saul, but fleeing from his own son. Terrible, terrible situation. Lots of hiding and fighting and, and struggle and all of that until ultimately Absalom was hunted down. And against the orders of David who wanted him taken alive, Absalom was killed. Man, what a mess. Such a mess. Here's some good news, though. Some of us have got a mess on our hands, but in the middle of that, God's grace is working through, working through even in the middle of all the consequences of our choices. God was still doing that, with still reaching to David with grace, even in spite of all of that. Such a mess. And, and it's almost when you hear that, when you say, okay, this, this guy took another guy's wife, had that guy killed, had, had a, a baby who then, who then died from that relationship, and then, and then he, this whole thing with his sons, and, and, and the, oh, man, that, what, isn't there a breaking point somewhere? Isn't there at some point just where God says, that's it? No more. No more grace for you. If David's, if David's story is any indicator, and I'm going to go out, I don't think very far on the limb, and say, and probably yours or mine. If that story is any indicator, grace has no end. I mean, I, I fully believe if there was a limit to God's grace, David would have passed it. And probably a lot of us. I think if most of us, in the way we view life and the, the way that we judge other people's performance while we judge our own intentions, which is a far different thing, Most of us would have looked at David's life, and if we'd have been on the other end of any of the negative consequences from his choices, we would have said, that's enough, that's it for you. 
And we would have written the last act, the last chapter of David's life in a different way than the Scripture gives it to us. You see, in the last portion of David's life, the last act of that, David becomes a man whose mercy increases. And he reaches out to people like Shimei and Mephibosheth and people who couldn't do things for him and offers mercy and grace. And then in David's own personal life, you see Bathsheba, who he lusted after and took in his house and had her husband killed and they had a, they had a, a child that was born and died. They had another son, David and Bathsheba. His name was Solomon. And Solomon became the man to whom God would allow to build his temple. Solomon became a man who wrote three books that we have in the Bible, became the man who has the reputation of having been the wisest and perhaps richest king in the history of the world. Now you could argue, I think you could make a pretty good argument that Solomon should have never even been conceived. Right? Do you remember the story? Do I need to go back? That child should not have been born. If things that had been right, that child would have never been born. But the grace of God is not earned ever. You hear me? It is undeserved. It is unearned. It is unmerited. It is unexplainable. It's unbelievable. Do you know it? Now, we've all put God's grace to the test. Every, everybody in this room has put God's grace to the test. Oh, pastor, I'm a good person. All right. I, I expect you are. Let's just reveal every, every detail, every thought, everything you've ever done. How are we doing now? We've all put God's grace to the test. And here's the thing, too. And, and when you say, well, God's grace is for me, you're like, whew, that is a relief. Thank you, Lord. But we all know someone. We all love someone who's put the grace of God to the test. And in our minds, they've done it so much more than we have. And our temptation is to just say, that's it, that's enough, writing you off. I mean, how many chances do you get? I, I don't know the answer to that. But I know in my life, it's been a lot. And my life, my heart, my story is one of grace from start to finish. And I would testify with the Apostle Paul as he writes in Romans chapter 5, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. 
He goes on to say, does that mean, well, then we should just sin all the more so that God will pour out more grace? And he says, don't be ridiculous. Do you remember the mess? The old song that we used to sing comes to mind. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. In Matthew's gospel, he um, has a genealogy. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. You know, that's the whole thing where you, you open up your Bible and you want to read something to help you with your life, and, and you get all this list of names. And if you're reading the King James Version, it says, begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat. What is, what is it, begat? Um, Somebody played begat with me in Words with Friends the other day. Who that was? Somebody been reading the King James Bible. Johnny? Uh, it's, uh, and early there in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew references the sad, dark history in the genealogy of Jesus. He mentions who Rahab was. He mentions Bathsheba and her first husband. And just in that simple list of names, I think Matthew, who himself had been a despised tax collector and a traitor to his people, and just that simple list of names in the beginning of his story about Jesus, he was saying, this is a story of grace. And in Jesus, there's grace enough to absorb the full measure of sin. Said that David was a man after God's own heart. You read some of the story and you go, really? But at the end, we see God's grace and how it's transformed him until he's returned to being somebody who's pouring out his, his life, writing praise and glory to God. You can see it at the end of 2 Samuel in his last words. And he recognized God as the one to whom he wanted to give himself completely to. You bow your heads with me. Lord, I pray um, in these next few moments that we would uh, hear and know that um, your grace is for each one of us. And it's for the people that we know and love that are putting your love and favor to the test and have put... Uh, have put us to the test. And when we think that way, Lord, just remind us how much grace you've poured out on us. 
So Lord, I just prayed if there's anyone here today that's in need of forgiveness, anyone here that needs to confess and repent, if there's anyone here today that just needs to know that you're working in the middle of the mess that's been made, I pray that we'll recognize that today. Thank you for your love and grace and favor in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.